0: So I actually had people call me and say, hey, so-and-so offered me this much more money. What can you do for me? And you know what my response to them was? I'm not doing shit. Great experiences build great leaders. Great leaders build great teams. This is Building Great Sales Teams. All right, guys, we're doing a solo episode today. I wanted to cover uh, something that I've been getting questions on a lot lately, and that is turnover. So I, I had a, a question from a buddy the other day. He reached out to me and he said, hey, I've got this young guy, you know, I'm, I'm paying him really good. He's coming up in the company. He's doing really well and he's getting offers from other companies. And so uh, how do I handle this? You know, do I keep investing in him knowing he might leave any day? Or or what do I do here, right? And so this really gave me the idea for this episode, uh, turnover, why and what to do, right? And during this episode, we'll go over recruiting for an entry-level sales position and recruiting for volume and understanding what are the turnover results you're going to get when you do that. Uh, And then, of course, how to move the needle in retaining when you recruit with that strategy And then as well as recruiting for quality. You know, when you're taking your time recruiting, when you're doing multiple round interviews, when you're hiring higher level salespeople, what is involved in that? And then, of course, understanding with your sales program and your company in general, turnover at a high level and how to prevent it, what to do, and then why your people are leaving if they are leaving and why your key players may leave and what to do in those situations. And then understanding um, when they do leave, what are the financial relationships, success stories, what are the implications, what what is the ROI of all these things, Uh, understanding uh, homegrown versus transplant, and then uh, also understanding what to do when they leave for the competition, when they steal people, when they defame your company name. So we'll walk through all those things through this episode, you know. So, if you are looking for a certain piece, that's kind of how we're going to break it up there, and uh, you can move to the, to the later part of the episode if something makes a little more sense for you. But let's get into it. So, when you're recruiting an entry level position and a a high volume position, you're you're running a sales org most likely, or you just you know you have a roofing company that is really successful and you've got to constantly be hiring new salespeople because you've got a lot of turnover in the business, right? So, uh, I would say back in 13, you know, we had about 50, 60 sales reps and, uh, we were hiring anywhere from 15 to 20 people a month and we were turning over that same amount. I was always dealing with one-to-one turnover rate in order to keep the amount of people I had, I had to hire, uh, the amount of people that were leaving. So it was one-to-one all the time. And so, you know, Right around 2014, about Q3, we had 110 sales reps, so we had doubled our headcount. so obviously we were doing something right in that process. Well, when speaking of just volume, you know, some of the things we were doing is, obviously we were hiring uh, and we were spending uh, around 10 to 12 grand a month in order to hire 60 to 70 sales rep per month, right? And a lot of that spend had to do with indeed.com. And um, we, we still did the other avenues, though. The thing about volume is you need to be doing every avenue you can. So we still did social media, we still did uh, things like Craigslist and Career Builder and uh, all the different hiring sites out there. and And we would get better results with sites like Craigslist and Career Builder and uh, you know some of these other uh, sites that we were using. And social media, we would definitely get better results with social media, but Indeed gave us the actual volume, right? And so we were looking for both. We were looking for volume, and then we were hiring an entry-level position. So basically we just had to scale the recruiting across all those things, and that's what gave us those big numbers that we were getting. Uh, In order to to hire that volume, we've got to be tracking every metric along the way. So some of the things that we did to improve our metrics – metrics was you know we did an immediate text once they scheduled their opportunity meeting right and I say opportunity meeting because that's like a group interview and so they, they would get an immediate text when they scheduled they would get a text the day before they would get texts like an hour before and the, and it would all contain information that would help them get to the opportunity meeting basically uh, it was a group opportunity meeting because we couldn't hire that many people and do one-on-one interviews at a time right and then uh, part of our job, and the, probably one of the reasons the turnover was so high, is because we wanted to work hard at basically getting them to make the decision whether or not they were going to do this faster, right? Because we didn't want to keep them on so long and then have our trainers and our managers and our um, our staff be working on this new person coming in if they were just going to leave in a week. So we tried to scare them into quitting faster. So like right after the op meeting, We would do a a one-on-one with the manager, and uh, they would sit them down and basically say, hey, it's going to be hot. You'll be sweating your butt off. You know, people are going to tell you no. You know, sometimes there's loose dogs in the neighborhood and stuff like that, kind of scaring them out of the position if they didn't have the salt for it, you know? And so uh, we wanted to make sure that we got them out of the company faster so that our trainers wouldn't waste their time training someone that was just going to quit anyways. So another thing that we did is uh, day one, that they were in the field and training. I know some organizations like mine at the time did three days of classroom training, and then they took them to the field just to find out they couldn't hack it in the field because of the heat or whatever the case is, right? And so some of the ways that we moved the needle for higher retention was anything competitive. You know, like we, we noticed that during uh, March, when we were doing March Madness, we had our lowest retention rates ever. And so some of the things we did was we created, and this was with an old operational partner of mine. Uh, This was his idea. We created uh, what we called the uh, Network Sales League. So at the time, the company was called the Network, right? So we had the Network Sales League, very similar to the NFL. And so we broke everybody up into teams. They had uh, team mascots. And, you know, obviously they were from a certain city. And so... We, we spent a lot of time and effort into creating a league, basically. Uh, Ralph and I did a weekly uh, report on you know who won their matches from the week before. So we pitted the teams up against each other. The most sales won that match. We had playoffs. We had a Super Bowl. And we noticed during that time we had the highest retention and some of the best performances during that time because there was something going on. You know, I know um, one of the ways that uh, Vivint has a really high retention rate is uh, they have basketball leagues within the company, right? Or they have a basketball team that plays in like an intramural league and they'll pay that fee and they'll pay for them to play and everything. And some of the guys would say, well, I can't I can't leave the company because I'm on the basketball team, you know, and I got to finish that out. So creating... Uh, Competition, creating um, value, and creating uh, purpose outside of their compensation is how you are going to move that needle for higher retention. Some of the other things we did is we noticed you know we lost a lot of pe- people between the first and the fifth sale. We lost about eighty percent of every of everybody that got a first sale. We lost about eighty percent by the time the fifth sale came around. So whenever we were starting new people, we may have had a bonus of the first sale and the fifth sale. So we would spread that fifth sale bonus across the second, third and fourth to get more money in their pocket faster. Right. And, and that's your goal when you're hiring an entry level sales position is to get money in their pocket faster where it makes sense, you know, and then the last piece that moved the needle for higher retention is uh, our new hire referral program. So if you came into the company and within two weeks, um, referred one of your friends to come in to the company, you got double the new hire rate or the new hire referral rate, right? So maybe it was 250 bucks for bringing someone in to the company and them getting hired and making their first sale. Well, you would get 500 instead. So it incentivized the new people coming in to automatically recruit any friends and family they thought would be interested in the position. And then what that did is that increased the retention rate. Cause it obviously, anytime you hire a new person, that is from somebody within the company, they're, they're, gonna, uh, they're going to perform five times better than a new person that has no ties in the company. And then your retention rate's also going to go up even more because now you're a brand new person with this company, you're a salesperson, you're having a hard time, but you're, you just recruited your friend of the company, so you're less likely to leave because you are in this together now, right? So th- those are some of the ways that we move the needle for higher retention when it came to recruiting for entry level uh sales positions and recruiting for volume now let's talk about recruiting for call quality and i've gone over some of these details before um and this will you know keep your retention rate low if you're recruiting through uh a platform like wise hire one of the beautiful things is it so if you're recruiting for quality it's all about hiring slow and firing fast right and hiring slow means you have a slow hiring process in the sense that you're going to weed out anybody that doesn't match up with core values, with experience, with uh, the quality of sales rep that they are, right? And so you can use Wise Hire as a really good tool for that. And uh, so one of the first way we do it is the qualifying questions, right? So you've got the application; they can probably auto fill out the application, but they have to answer the qual- the qualifying questions. And if they don't answer those questions, and they don't move on. In the new hire stage, right? And you'd be surprised at how many people will not answer those questions. Probably about 50% of your hiring pool will not answer those qualifying questions, right? And then, so the next piece is the disc assessment. And so um, you can have, so basically, you have your whole company take a disc assessment, and then you get a profile of your most successful salespeople and how they rank on the disc. And then you apply that to the new candidates coming in disc assessments, and you'll get a rating of, you know, a a high quality match for the position or a low quality match. And so depending on how many people you have coming in, you can kind of dictate who gets on to the first round interview based on their disc assessment. So once you get to that first round interview, that first round interview can be virtual. This is all about minimizing your hiring managers, your sales managers, or your executives' time In hiring new salespeople coming on. So the first round interview is virtual and that can be done in 30 minutes. WiseHire has these cool little questions and uh, templated things that you can basically conduct an interview and get help asking those questions throughout the process as well as disposition the questions for that candidate and write in any notes so that you have everything there when making a decision between multiple hires. That's incredibly important that you have those tools in front of you. And then uh, at that point, then it's a round two uh, interview, and you can do that through Hire as well. And then uh, you can make educated decisions on who to bring on. So when you're recruiting for quality like that, obviously you're going to retain more people. More people are going to be a better fit for the company, and they're going to stay longer. But that's when you're recruiting for your medium to high-level sales positions. You should really be recruiting for quality. When you're recruiting for entry-level sales positions, it's a lot more difficult to recruit for quality if you need to get that high volume out of them, okay? So let's just talk about understanding high-level turnover prevention, right? As a company, how am I going to prevent this turnover that happens, right? And everything that I've been talking about is understanding turnover rates, why they happen when you're recruiting for entry-level and volume, And then even when they happen, when you're recruiting for quality, how to prevent them, right? So let's talk about that. So obviously, uh, culture is going to be the number one tool that you're going to be able to use to prevent turnover within your company. And the way to establish that culture is obviously core values. We talk about it all the time. I won't beat a dead horse too much. But what I will say is once you establish those core values, they're on the wall, and you're hiring based on those once you uh, establish all of that, then you've got to follow through with it. It's so incredibly important that you follow through with those core values, or else they are just words on the wall and your people aren't going to believe them. And you'd be surprised at how many times they're going to wait for you to take action based on core values, right? And so uh, the next piece that is going to improve your culture is an opportunity structure that has no uh, discrimination. So an opportunity structure that's based on experience and results. And uh, if you haven't listened to my previous podcast before and don't know what an opportunity structure is, this is something that says, hey, when you come into the company, you're at trainee. And then once you make four sales in a week or five sales in a week, whatever that number is for your company, then you move up to salesperson, right? In order to qualify to train other people, you have to do X, Y, and Z and be with the company for 30 days, right? Okay, now you move up the trainer. In order to qualify for assistant manager, so on and so forth, you get it. The opportunity structure is incredibly important when preventing turnover. And so the, the next piece of that is not just the amount of money that they're making or the opportunity that they have, but your investment in them. And that's what we like to call at our gensa, uh, our freedom training, right? So I'm investing in their tax education. I'm investing in their financial education. I'm investing in their investment education, which is incredibly important. And then I'm, I'm also investing in their health, right? Um, by by giving by bringing in people to speak about these things, all the things that I just said, plus health. Plus, you know, things like meditation, mindfulness, mindset, uh, anything that grows them as a person, you bring in people to to train on it, you record that training, and you include it in your uh, opportunity structure that they have to complete these trainings in order to get to the next level, right? And uh, that's an, an incredibly important when preventing turnover. Uh, but really understanding that turnover is going to come when somebody... A key player, a top performer, or whatever the case leaves your company. Okay, now if it's a if it's an unannounced, like didn't see it coming, they just all of a sudden stop returning your calls and stuff like that one day type leave. Well, that that really requires a deep dive, and the first place you find that at well, first you have to say to yourself, you have to look yourself in the mirror and say, okay, this key player, let's just call it an assistant manager, high performer. Lots of sales, right? This person left the company and they went to another company. Okay, why? You know what I mean. Um, looking yourself in the mirror and find and, I, and by yourself, I mean your company. You know what were they missing? So you ask the other salespeople that worked under them, that worked with them as a peer, and then the person that managed them. At some point, they were grieving, or they were airing out some grievances. Or they were talking about the company that they were leaving for. Or maybe they were going to start their own thing. Whatever the case is, you've got to do that research instead of just saying, oh, they're a punk, they left the company, they're not about this life. You know, that's not good enough. You've got to really investigate the situation and find out the results of that. So then you can say, okay, they left for more money. You know, let's look at our commission structure. Let's look at our product. You know, maybe they left for a different product. Um, let's look at everything and try and understand why they're leaving. And if you're, if you have a high vol, if you have a lot of sales reps or employees for that matter, then you can actually start to see trends as long as you're doing this investigation properly. And so, one of the ways that we kind of recognize those trends is called an offboarding form. And so, you know, whenever somebody leaves the company, they get offboarded, and their manager fills out that form, and the. On that form, it says reason why they left, you know, and so you can pull the last 20 forms and kind of see the reasons why people are leaving and you'll start seeing trends from that. So then you've got to go operate on those trends and make sure that you eliminate them from the company or at least reduce them so that you you can then reduce the turnover, right? All right, so you're doing all this. You've built out a beautiful sales program. You know, you've ha- had a lot of success stories throughout it. And uh, you're seeing people make a lot of money, but these these people still leave. And the, the biggest part of that is understanding why they leave, right? Um, or understanding that they will still leave, that you can have a great program and that people will still leave for whatever reason, right? And so if they do looking at them as an individual asset right now this is take aside from the relationship that you've built looking at them as a financial asset did you get your ROI from them right understanding that okay I spent 40 grand a year on a base salary Um, my gross profit from each product they sold was this much looking at them as a whole did you get your roi from them in most cases if you're built properly and you've you've laid out your financials and you understand um what you should be paying in commission to result in a net profit in the company then most likely you did and so understand when they still leave you still got your roi so as a business owner then you you profited from that relationship so you have to accept that and be okay with them leaving because, hey, they they did what they were supposed to do when they were here. You profited from their relationship. They profited from the relationship, right? Um, you didn't just give them cash, right? You gave them education, experience, culture, whatever the case is. This is all assuming you have a solid sales program, right? So I think once we let go of the financial piece and we don't automatically assume we lost a bunch of money on them because they went on to another company, um, then it makes it a little bit easier to accept. Okay. Now let's look at the, the relationship, right? So you're not treating people just like assets, but obviously you, you had a relationship with them. And hopefully if they did leave, they left on good terms and they, they, you know, they basically came to you and said, Hey, these are my issues. This is why I'm leaving. Or um, maybe they didn't go that far, but they said, hey, this is the best thing for me and my family, okay? Um, That doesn't mean that that relationship ends. I can't tell you how many people have left my company and then come back years later because our relationship was still intact. Now, we're not calling each other once a month or even once every six months or anything like that, but you see each other on social media. They're doing well. You support them. You like their posts, Just because someone's not with your company doesn't mean that they don't have a relationship ROI to you anymore, right? You know, I have people that aren't with us anymore that have started their own companies or are on different programs that I still support 100%. And it makes it a lot easier to support them when they're not in your market, too, you know. And so I would encourage all of you to maintain the relationship in in, in whatever cadence or whatever aspect. It doesn't have to be anything too crazy, but... You know, we've got to stop, especially in sales organizations. We've got to stop writing people off once they once they leave the organization. That's not good for your your heart. It's not good for your soul um, to operate that way to, and and to treat people like that that they're only valuable to you if they're within your organization, right? So that to me, there's a relationship ROI that happens and that that you keep getting profits from after they leave, right? And I know I'm talking in business terms, but um, this is treating people not just as an asset, but as human beings, right? And that, hey, I can answer that text or call or reach out to them, ask them how they're doing, or wish them a happy birthday, or whatever the case is, and maintain that very um, what is it called? Um, there's a word for it, uh, acquaintance type relationship, right? So, and then, and then, like I said, not being afraid to. Uh, so a lot of times people leave, they go on, and they do great things that they couldn't have done within your company because it wasn't their passion, right? And so it's incredibly important for us not only to promote them and to support them, but to tell those stories, right? To, especially like in your opportunity meeting, when people first come into the company, of course you're going to tell them about the people in the company that are doing really well and successful. And those are the examples, Right. But you're also going to tell them about the people in the company that were here for six months or here for a year or here for three years and went on to start their own thing or went on to do something different and were incredibly successful because they need to understand that it's not just about it's not just about the people that are here and that's the only people you support. They need to understand that hey, we're okay if you come into our company, you learn a skill here which is sales or whatever the case your company does it's okay if you come into our company you learn a skill and you move on that's part of life sometimes we are only in each other's lives for a season you know what i mean and your people coming in need to understand hey that's okay that's part of it because they may have dreams in their head that have nothing to do with your company position you're just a way for them to pay their bills while they built their dream which should be acceptable in any organization you should not be hiring people thinking that they're going to work for you the rest of their lives. I don't think that's practical. And I also don't think it's good for your soul, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, to try and retain people like that, right? And so um, understanding that there is an ROI from everybody that comes into and leaves your company, right? And then, you know, understand the difference between homegrown versus a transplant. You know, we... I saw this happen recently with one of my mentors. You know, he hired a guy, um, a high-level person. So, you know, within the mastermind community, it is a just everybody's answer to everything is visionary and um, integrator, right? And everybody's... Answer to a lot of things. You need to hire an integrator. An integrator is going to fix your company. Blah blah blah. But you got to be willing to pay for them, which is six figures. Which you know is getting them from ex military or a, another company or whatever the case is. And then they have you have a a vision, and they get to build the company up. You know what I mean? And that's all good and well. But that is not the answer a hundred percent of the time. That's probably not even the answer fifty percent of the time. Um. Because the other 50% of the time, the answer is they are within your company. You just need to recognize them, and you can do that through things like disk assessments or the EOS test to see if they're a visionary or integrator. And so I will bet on somebody that is homegrown from... For, excuse me. <coughs> I will bet on somebody that is homegrown within the company from entry level to executive level every single time against someone that comes in laterally i will 100 percent of the time because that person that comes in laterally i mean they left another company because there was a better opportunity so from the get they're not exactly the most loyal right maybe they shut down their business to come work with you right they gave up on something to come work with you right uh and don't get me wrong, I'm not bashing people that come in laterally from companies. I mean, there's a lot of value in that. There's a lot of headspace that gets cleared when a visionary hires an integrator for six figures and then dials them into the bottom line. You know But do not be surprised when a couple of years later they are moving on to do their own thing and that you were just part of what they did for a season. And that's okay. You've got to be ready for that. You cannot build your organization based on staying people staying with the company forever what you have to build is positions with, within your organization and make sure that those positions are dialed into the culture that have opportunity to move up that have motivation to become better humans and that you're pouring all that into the company no matter who's in what position and you and that's why it's got to be easy when you hire a COO, and then several years later, they leave the company or they make a bad decision and you have to cut them loose, you can't be emotionally tied to them in terms of your business. You're going to be emotionally tied to them in terms of them being a human, becoming friends, you know what I mean, like building something together. Yes, I understand that part. That's just, But in terms of your business, you need to be able to put somebody else in that COO position You know what I mean? And the position, accept and house them and operate properly. You know what I'm saying? Because you built out the position. You didn't build out the person, right? If you just invest in the person and um, set up the position based on that person, you're going to be in trouble when they leave, right? And so build out your organizational structure. Build out your opportunity structure. Build out your scope of work, Make sure all those things are in there so people can move in and out of them. That's not good for just people leaving. It's also good for people moving up in your company or moving across positions in your company. When all those SOPs and profiles and scope of works are built out and the opportunity st- structure supports them from, from top to bottom and bottom to top, then um, you can plug and play where you need to. And people that grow within your company grow within your company. And people that exit, exit. But you've got someone behind them ready to replace them. You know what I'm saying? This is just business. You know, we get too hung up in the, the, the culture building and keeping people forever. And then when they decide to leave, when they decide to do what's best for their family, we get upset with them. And it's like, what are you, why are you getting upset? They're doing what's best for their family. You're doing what's best for yours. You know what I'm saying? At the end of the day, that's all we can expect from anybody. And that is an amazing core value, and that's something to be commended. So build your organization as such, right? And so that's kind of what we look at when we look at homegrown versus transplant. You know, to me, homegrown have better ROIs. They have better retention. You know, and the transplants are in there for a season You know what I mean? And they may end up staying with the company long-term. You know, Wayne Skinner, uh, 11 or 12 years ago, he was a transplant. You know what I mean? He came from managing a Time Warner team. He was tired of Time Warner's crap, so he came to work with us. And then he just wanted to be a salesperson. You know, but I knew in the back of my head, this dude is a high-level manager. You know, I I, I struck gold here. If I can explain my dream to him and he agrees with that dream, he's going to be an amazing part of it and... 12 years later, he still is. And so that is the exception. That's not the rule. I've had plenty of other high level people like Wayne come in and out of the business. You know what I'm saying? And so, uh, but the people that I've grown from the ground up have stuck around the longest, you know what I'm saying? And they're the ones I still maintain relationships with today. And so understand when they leave for the competition, and and the worst thing possible happens. They they ruin the relationship. They burn the bridges when they steal, or they defame, right? When they do these things, it's hard, guys. Trust me, I've dealt with it for ten plus years now. It is not easy, but you have got to let it fucking go. You do. Um, I am never. Uh, especially with sales organizations, if you don't have a proprietary product that you're selling, you know, you just had a sales team and you have a certain way of running your sales team. That is not proprietary. Okay. A lot of the concepts that you guys say that you created are created at other companies a hundred times over, you know what I'm saying? So the, the problem is the ego piece. How could he or she think anything's better than what I have? Right. So what happens when they steal, and by steal I mean use your systems, use your SOPs, use your stuff, right? There typically isn't enough in there to actually justify a lawsuit, especially within sales organizations, right? And then when they go and they talk shit about your company, you know what I'm saying? You should be... Confident enough in what you've built and in your culture, provided you have built a great culture, right? I used to be defensive when they talk crap about my company. You know, um, we made it. We made it a, a big point to always pay out people that left, to pay them out completely, so they couldn't talk crap. But they still talk crap because they didn't like this one trivial thing, or they didn't like how we ran this product. Whatever the case is, right? And and I, I spent so much time defending myself. And trying to prove them wrong and trying to explain myself to other people. But this last time that it happened, I didn't explain myself to anybody. All I said was that individual, which was a key player in the company, that individual did not align with our core values anymore. So we had to let him go. Period. That's all I need to say about it. And they went on to, to recruit people from our organization and to defame our organization. You know, but... I have confidence in what I built here and the real will recognize real. If it's a recruit coming in and they hear something at that point, wherever they're at, that they're actually able to hear something from another company or another individual. I hope that we've shown them enough to, to say, Hey, our and what they're building is real and I'm real. So I recognize it. Right. And then the same thing, if you're in the company and somebody that left reaches out and tries to recruit you and tries to like talk crap about me, you know what I'm saying? I'm hoping that I've given you enough throughout your history with the company that you'll recognize real. And so a lot of times, you know, we get upset with them for stealing sales reps and all this kind of stuff. But if, if we truly believe in our core values and we truly believe in what we're doing, then you kind of have to thank them for recruiting people from you. Because guess what? If that person openly violated core values and you let them go and then people went with them, what does that tell you? That tells you that they don't believe in those core values. Because they saw this person violate the core values, but they don't care. All they really care about is money. All they really care about is seizing opportunity. All they really care about is themselves. And I'm all about doing what's best for you and your family. And I'm going to leave it at that. I'm not going to call you selfish or greedy or I'm not, I'm not going I say you don't have any character. I'm going to say, hey, he did what's best for him and his family. And that's it, and I'm going to move on. And guess what that does for me? You know, now we're getting into the mindset stuff. So guess what that does for me? It lets it go. I carried around the people that left me for so long and they weren't even thinking about me anymore because I took it personally and I held on to it. I got mad about it. And I defended it instead of just letting it go and moving on with my life and my organization. so and so offered me, and there is so much power when you can do that and you don't get healed. My response to them was on these people that leave the company and try to hurt you. What we pay is what we pay. And our uh, opportunity structures, are our opportunity you know, structure. I, you knew that coming in. I you can, can you could the execute to get because to the next have, level. I've lost and you had to leave the company to get one, one, on one up. Then that's on you. And, and that basically once, it is where first your first core values align. Point. You're focused on money right now, which I understand. That's the best for you and your family. Move on. And you got to be okay with that. Because if you're not okay with it, then it usually has to do with the money that you'll retain if they stay. And so you, you give them the commission bump, and then you're in the same boat a couple of months later when somebody else offers them more. So you can't let them hold host- you hostage because of commissions. Now, you can let them hold you hostage because of culture, right? But a lot of people, when I made that decision, didn't hold me hostage on culture because I enforced it. I enforce the core values. So, without beating this horse too much here, um, I hope I've given you a good overview of turnover, why it happens and what to do when it does. And not just at a tactical, practical level, but at a mindset and my inner peace level. Because when you start having key, when you have a key player leave, it is, man, it's, It's easy to go down a dark path and sue them and defame them back and try and recruit people from them. You know what I'm saying? And it's just a waste of your energy and your time and your fucking peace. And I will protect my peace, guys. And I hope you do, too. Y'all have a great day, and let's get going. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Building Great Sales Teams. We appreciate it. Make sure you like, share, and leave a review wherever you consume podcasts and subscribe so you're notified when we release new content. Great sales teams aren't recruited. They are built brick by brick. Let's get building.